All right, I think last time we finished up Revelation uh, 17. And so that means we're on Revelation 18. And Revelation 17 talked about the, uh, the harlot and her destruction and her final judgment. One of the things that I don't know what to do with, but I find it provocative. We're going to see the fall of Babylon tonight. And let's go back to Revelation 17, uh, verse 15. And the angel said to me, The waters that you saw where the prostitute is seated are peoples and multitudes and nations and languages. And the ten horns that you saw, they and the beast will hate the prostitute. They will make her desolate and naked and devour her flesh and burn her up with fire. For God has put it into their hearts to carry out his purpose by being of one mind and handing over their royal power to the beast until the words of God are fulfilled. And the woman you saw is the great city that has dominion over the kings of the earth. One of the things that struck me as I was reading Revelation 18, and it's confirmed here, is that the burning with fire of the prostitute. Okay? And we talked last time, of course, the prostitute is apostate religion that joins itself with empire for the purpose of legitimizing what empire does and enriching itself in the process. So the, the, the whore gives spiritual legitimacy to the empire and that her punishment is to be burned with fire. And the reason I found that interesting is because if you read the Torah, the burning with fire of a woman is reserved for the daughter of a priest. In other words, it's not a general punishment for everyone. It is specifically reserved for the daughter of a priest who behaves in a wanton manner. Not quite sure what to do with that, but it's... As I say, it struck me in the destruction of Babylon, and it also struck me in the uh, end of the prostitute. And what that leads me to believe is that the prostitute started off as being legitimate. And she was the daughter of a priest in, in that sense, and has defiled herself with harlotry, and... Because of that, her punishment is the punishment of a wayward daughter of a priest. Don't know what to do with that particularly, but I do think it's significant. So I, what, I'm, what I'm saying to you is I'm thinking that the harlot comes from a priestly line and started off as being legitimate. The other thing to keep in mind is, again, I think we talked last time, about you know the encounter at Sinai where Israel is standing at the bottom of the mountain and three days before God had basically sent down a marriage proposal to them and they had accepted and the incident at Sinai where the Ten Commandments wind up being given was intended to be the consummation of a marriage and we've said before that what happens in a marriage consummation is material passes from the husband to the wife for the purpose of passing on life. 
And if we look at God's Word as being seed, what God wants to do is write His Word on the heart of Israel, which is analogous, if you will, to a husband giving his bride seed on, at the consummation of their marriage. Consequently, God looks upon false religion as adultery, okay, because of the, the analogy that I've just said. And one of the things that happens in a false religion is that you accept strange seed, which is to say, word that is not God's word. Okay, that's the essence of a, of a Babylonian religious system, if you will, is that religious system gives you strange seed, and that strange seed you take in and you then start doing things with it. And God regards that as adultery. Okay? And, and again, I've said before, and I'll say again, that virtually everything in Scripture can be understood in terms of family and agriculture. And you know everybody understands marriage, faithfulness, etc. I mean, they may not follow it, but they certainly understand it. And so for God then to explain his relationship to us in those terms is, is something that we are capable of understanding. Yeah? Well, very good. That, that's a good insight. Her comment was that uh, she was struck by today how many people want the fun of planting the seed but don't want the fruit. And many people who come into churches want the fun of planting the seed but don't want to bear fruit. You know, the analogy I think is perfect. Come into the presence of God where the Word of God is given to you, which is seed, and sort of one more digression. Humanity, male and female, boys and girls, men and women, are feminine. Now within humanity we have boys and girls, but humanity as a whole is, is feminine. The female is executive, the male is initiative. Okay? So what, what the male does is provide the seed, the idea, the word, whatever it is. What the female does is takes that and produces a child. And, and again, if you think about it, in, in the production of a child, the amount of physical material contributed by the father is microscopic. All of the physical material, all of the protoplasm, if you will, that goes into a child is provided by the woman. So in that sense, we are executive. God gives us the seed. We take that seed and we execute and produce, in the case of humanity, a child. Uh, in the case of our relationship with God, you know, whatever fruit that he wants us to bear. Okay? So I think your, your analogy is exactly right. There are a whole lot of people in church that want the fun of spreading the seed, but they don't want the responsibility of the child, which is to say they don't want to bear fruit as God wants them to bear it, and, and they, if you will, engage in spiritual contraception. Anyway, all of that's by way of setting up Babylon, and as Ray said, and with, with which I agree, this Babylon that's going down in chapter 18 is a real city someplace, at some time. I have no idea what city that will be when this happens. Certainly there's been great 
uh, indoor sport saying, well, I mean, that's clearly wrong. And 2,000, or not 2,000 years ago, probably uh, 15 or 1,600 years ago, Rome would have been the right answer. I don't know that Rome still is the right answer. In other words, the Babylonian religious system follows power. And, and Ray, last time with his internet iPhone, looked up and found that there are just a slew of cities out there that are built on seven hills. So the association of with this with Rome, as I say, probably three or four hundred years after the death of Messiah, that would have been accurate. I don't believe it is anymore. It's moved. And, and where it will actually be when Revelation 18 goes down, I have no idea. All right, let's get into 18. After this, I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority, and the earth was made bright with his glory. And he called out with a mighty voice, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She has become a dwelling place for demons, a haunt for every unclean spirit, a haunt for every unclean bird, a haunt for every unclean and detestable beast. For all nations have drunk the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality, and the kings of the earth have committed immorality with her. And the merchants of the earth have grown rich from the power of her luxurious living. Then I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, lest you take part in her sins, lest you share in her plagues, for her sins are heaped high as heaven, and God has remembered her iniquities. Pay her back as she herself has paid back others, and repay her double for her deeds, mix a double portion for her in the cup she mixed, as she glorified herself and lived in luxury, so give her a like measure of torment and mourning. Since in her heart she says, I sit as a queen, I am no widow, and mourning I shall never see. That's M-O-U-R-N-I-N-G, not M-O-R-N-I-N-G. And mourning I shall never see. For this reason her plagues will come in a single day, death and mourning and famine, and she will be burned up with fire, for mighty is the Lord God who has judged her. Okay, lots of stuff here. I'm eventually going to get over to Matthew 13. So if you want to start wending your way over there, uh, we're going to talk about the parable of the mustard seed and the leaven. But there are a couple other things that I want to sort of touch on here. One of the things that happens in illicit sex is there is the possibility of, in addition to passing on reproductive seed, passing on disease seeds. There's a reason they call them venereal diseases. And one of the things that's going on here is basically she is being plagued and she has become a diseased prostitute. And in, in verse 4, this come out of her, my people, lest you take part in her sins, lest you share in her plagues. And what I'm suggesting to you, the plagues we're talking about here is the spiritual equivalent of syphilis or gonorrhea or any of the venereal diseases, okay? In other words, God is using this exactly as, as you would understand it. Lots of people will teach, come out of her, my people, means to get away from the world system. And there are lots and lots of lone rangers in the body of Messiah out there who have sort of retreated into their own little compound. I mean, whether their compound is their apartment or their ranch or whatever it is, because God said, come out of her, my people. I will suggest to you that this is specific at a certain time in a certain place. 
In other words, this place that Babylon is currently inhabiting, wherever that is, you know, Belgium, San, or Brussels, San Francisco, New York, Rio, you know, wherever it happens to be, that particular place is going down and, and things are about to hit. Get out of the way. Just as he says, get out of Jerusalem, just before, the, when you see the army starting to circle around him, get out. So this is not a call for God's people not to take part in the world. Because if you, if you pull out of the world, you can't do what God has called you to do, which is to carry the word of God into the world. Okay? The only way you can carry the word of God into the world is to be in the world. I mean, sorry, but that's just the way it is. I mean, I suppose you could sit back in your compound and speak, compound and speak into the internet, but you'll have a, a, a rather low success rate as opposed to if you're out there doing business with people, meeting them socially and so forth, and, and carrying with you the word of God into those circumstances. That's what you're called to do. So if you read this as being a general prohibition to stay out of the world, you know, be of the world, you know, all that stuff, I would suggest you're in error. Okay, this is a specific call about a specific city at a specific time, and God is saying, all right, it's coming down, get out of the way. Yeah, yeah, God does not call us to hide ourselves away from the world. Now, he will take us when he's about ready to sand somebody down. He will say, all right, get out of there, get out of the way, go to where Moses takes you, go to where I take you, My, you know, just get out of the way because this place is about to go down. Just like he took Lot out. When it came time for Sodom to go down, he sent a messenger in there and said, come on, Lot, you and all your household get out of here because this place is going down. Verse 7, as she glorified herself and lived in luxury, so gave her a like measure of torment and mourning, since in her heart she says, I sit as a queen and am no widow, and mourning I shall never see. I am no widow. Again, this is a prostitute who is masquerading as the bride of Christ. What she's saying then is, I'm not going to be widowed. I am, in fact, going to be the bride, and I will never come to mourning. Because remember, we had a betrothal at Sinai, and God says that he divorced Israel. Didn't divorce Judah, he divorced Israel. So you have then what used to be called a grass widow, as opposed to a sod widow. Those of you who are my aunt's age will understand the term. Everybody looking at me funny. A sod widow is a widow whose husband is dead and been buried. If her husband is not dead, she's called a grass widow because her husband is not under the sod. It's, it's an old expression. Basically, it, it means a divorced woman. So what she's saying is Israel, as opposed to Judah, is a grass widow, which is to say her husband isn't buried, but actually her husband was buried. He was buried for three days and rose from the dead. Let's go back up now to verse 2. I'm, I'm back in Revelation 18, verse 2. Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She has become a dwelling place for demons, a haunt for every unclean spirit, a haunt for every unclean bird, and a haunt for every unclean and detestable beast. 
So where that sort of leads you is to Matthew 13. And I'll pick pick that up in, in verse 31. He put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but when it is grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leavened. Okay, these are both saying the same thing. First off, seed, in this case, is good. Starts off good. And he sows it, and it's the smallest of all seeds, but then it grows and it becomes, instead of an herb, which is, you know, a bush, it becomes a tree. Well, it is not natural for a mustard bush to turn into a tree. So the first thing is that it it is way larger and more pretentious than it was designed to be. And undifferentiated birds in Scripture are evil. And if you go back through this list of parables, you know, it starts off with the parable of the sower. And what do the birds do in the parable of the sower? They steal the Word of God. So this is not a good thing. You know, preachers will preach on this that, oh, the kingdom, the church has grown big and it provides a refuge for the birds and... uh, you know, the leaven and the mustard, you know, that just like the Word of God is like leaven and it just goes throughout everything and permeates everything and you just can't get rid, you know, on and on and on. Well, that's not what either one of these things mean. What he's talking about here is false religion, the church, whether the church is the synagogue or the church is the cathedral or the church is the little church down on the corner. What he's talking about is a, an edifice that has grown larger than it was intended to grow, and has become the harbor of birds. It, it's sort of like, give you an example you can all relate to, our government. Our government was designed to be small. And the bigger it gets, the more birds it harbors. I'm, I'm, I'm very serious. And what, that's what happens to human institutions. If they're successful, they get bigger and bigger and more bureaucratic. As you've got more and more bureaucracies, you have places for birds to live. You look at the synagogue, which has been around for... 3,000 years, they got lots of birds. They've been out there longer. They've been under attack by Satan longer than anybody. Next up is the Catholic Church. Next up is the Baptist Church. Next up is the Lutherans. Next up is the Episcopalian. Next up is the, all of them. All of us. All of us. Because what happens is you get people that come in and find a place to build their nest, and they start building their little nest, and with their little nest, they bring in bad seed. And they corrupt the tree. Or the leaven puffs up the whole business. Go back to another place. Go back to Daniel. Daniel 4.10. The visions of my head as I lay in my bed were these. I saw and behold a tree in the midst of the earth, and its height was great. The tree grew and became strong. Its top reached to heaven, and it was visible to the into the whole earth. The leaves were beautiful and its fruit abundant. And it was food for all. The beasts of the field found shade under it and the birds of the heavens lived in its branches and all flesh was fed from it. Well, where is the center of idol worship? 
Babylon. Babylon. So this image of a large tree with lots of birds and, and, and so forth, and then back in Revelation 18, it becomes a haunt for every unclean bird and a haunt for every unclean and detestable beast. So what I'm suggesting to you is the metaphor is used consistently throughout Scripture. And, and as I say, the, the metaphor of birds in the tree is not some environmentalist idol. It is, uh, actually it may be an environmentalist idol, I-D-O-L as opposed to I-D-L-E. But it's God saying, you got stuff going on in your organization that had not to be. With the parable of the mustard seeds, you know that because mustard seeds are not designed to turn into trees. I have heard preachers give sermons as if, as if both of these things were good, and they're not. They're not intended to be. Let's go back to Revelation. And by this time, we should be about verse 9, Revelation 18, 9. And the kings of the earth who committed sexual immorality and lived in luxury with her will weep and wail over her when they see the smoke of her burning. They will stand far off in fear of her torment and say, Alas, alas, you great city, you mighty city Babylon, for in a single hour your judgment has come. And the merchants of the earth weep and mourn for her since no one buys their cargo anymore. Cargo of gold, silver, jewels, pearls, fine linen, purple cloth, silk, scarlet cloth, all kinds of scented wood, all kinds of articles of ivory, all kinds of articles of costly wood, bronze, iron, and marble, cinnamon, spice, incense, myrrh, frankincense, wine, oil, fine flour, wheat, cattle and sheep, horses and chariots, and slaves, that is, human souls. So what again he is saying is the lure of false religion is wealth. And again, if you look at any established religion okay, that's, that's been around there for a few hundred years, you'll notice that things start to get decorated. They decorate the priests. They decorate the buildings. They decorate the parking lot. They decorate the, you know. So this idea of the accumulation of wealth and luxury to false religion, and that goes back also to Jeremiah, what was it, 18 we were in? Yeah, yeah Jerob, you go back to Jeremiah 44, and it says, hey, wait a minute, since we quit worshiping the queen of heaven, our luxury goods have dried up. It's like anything else. If sin wasn't profitable and fun, nobody would do it. Okay, it's sort of like the old saying, if, you know, if stupidity was painful, nobody would do it. Well, stupidity is painful, but it's only painful in retrospect. It starts off fun. And it's only as you progress in sin that you discover that the fun that you have with sin turns bitter on you. But the lure is, this is fun. Wow, look at all that wealth. Wow, look at that temple. They got all sorts of stuff in there. They got money, they got jewels, they got good food, they got women or men, depending on what you're looking for. And wow, I'm going to go there. And that's what the temple's were like. So this idea that the earth dwellers are seduced by things of the earth to false religion and false worship is completely consistent. Verse 14. The fruit for which your soul longed has gone from you, 
and all your delicacies and your splendors are lost to you, never to be found again. The merchants of these wares who gained wealth from her will stand far off in fear of her torment, weeping and mourning aloud. Alas, alas, for the great city that was clothed in fine linen, in purple and scarlet, adorned with gold, with jewels, with pearls. For in a single hour all this wealth has been laid waste. And again, any reasonably competent preacher can take off at this point on the impermanence of earthly stuff. No matter how much earthly stuff you accumulate, it's all subject to be wiped out in an instant. And in fact, one of the connotations of the Hebrew word for evil, which is ra, is temporary. And what evil is, is attaching yourselves to something temporary as opposed to attaching yourself to something permanent. And the only thing that is permanent is God. Everything else is created and hence temporary. So the, the connotation of evil is, is not necessarily doing things that are bad. The connotation is that you have set your heart on something that is not permanent. And then from there, bad things will eventually flow because you're not connected to the source of life. But it isn't the bad things that flow that are the basis of evil. It's, it's a lack of a connection to something permanent. And what we see here with the prostitute is all of the things that she's attached herself to, gold and precious jewels and slaves and power and, and all that kind of stuff, all of those things, what God is doing is wiping them out in an instant because they are temporary. And the essence of her evil is attaching herself to the temporary, attractive wealth and power of this world instead of attaching herself to God as she should be doing. Yeah, right. The comment was that instant gratification is one of the lures of sin. And goes along with what I was saying, is sin is fun. It's fun up front. And what happens is the fun that you get up front bears a crop of tares later on. In other words, everything that you do is a seed. Planting God's seed is work up front, reward at the end. Planting Satan's seed is fun up front, disaster at the end. But both of them produce a crop. Simply a question of which end of the growing season the joy is. And with sin, it's at the beginning, and the crop that finally grows up is one that you don't want to have. Whereas with God's stuff, the joy comes later. But it's joy without bitterness, as opposed to Sin, which is joy in front, which leads to bitterness later. I mean, in your garden, what comes up first? The weeds or the wheat? Sure. Weeds come up first. And the wheat takes a while and it needs to be defended. Say, everything can be understood in terms of agriculture and family. Okay? Where am I here? Uh, verse 17, maybe? Uh, verse 17, uh, Revelation 18, 17. And in a single hour, all this wealth has been laid waste. And all shipmasters and seafaring men, sailors and all those, and all whose trade is on the sea stood far off and cried out as they saw the smoke of her burning. What city is like the great city? And they threw dust on their heads as they wept and mourned, crying out, Alas, alas, for the great city, where all who had ships at sea grew rich by her wealth, 
For in a single hour she has been laid waste. Rejoice over her, O heaven, and you saints and apostles and prophets, for God has given judgment for you against her. Now, again, notice, God has given judgment for you against her. What does that mean? Yeah. False religion is hostile to true religion. And all false religions that gain power wind up killing lots of people. False religion may be socialism, which is humanism. The greatest bloodshed in the history of man was in the 20th century by the various flavors of socialism. Communism, Marxism, Nazism. I mean, they're all socialist ideologies, and they killed, what, some hundred million people? Then you had the rewards of the religions up until then. Catholic and Protestant wars, and each one of them was just as vicious as the other was. Catholics weren't any more vicious than the Protestants were. Over and over and over again, the persecutions of the Christians under the Romans. And so what what he's doing is he's saying, I am paying her back for the blood of the saints. Verse 21. Then a mighty angel took up a stone like a great millstone and threw it into the sea, saying, So will Babylon the great be thrown down with violence, and will be found no more. And the sound of harpists and musicians, of flute players and trumpeters, will be heard in her in you no more. And a craftsman of any craft will be found in you no more, and the sound of the mill will be heard in you no more. And the light of a lamp will shine in you no more, and the voice of bridegroom and bride will be heard in you no more. For your merchants were the great ones of the earth, and all nations were deceived by your sorcery. And in her was found the blood of prophets and of saints, and of all who have been slain on earth. So again, going back to what I just said earlier, that false religion is murderous. And the ones that they are after are the children of God. Okay, I'm not going to start on 19. Would somebody like to close in prayer? Please consider becoming a sponsor. Please visit crimsonthread.com purpose for an explanation of what we're doing and perhaps to become a sponsor. Thank you. Thank you.